My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website at hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. want, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy. If you have it, we will have the words on the screen uh, for you today as well. Uh, if you don't have one, and uh, or if you want to pull out your phone and uh, use your Bible app or Google it or whatever you want, we're going to be in first, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 today is where we're going to be. Uh, I just want to say welcome to everybody. It's good to see some fresh new faces. Good to see you guys today. Glad to have you. Uh, Connor, this is your family. Yeah. Hey, family. <laughs> Good to see you guys. Glad you're here. Uh, we've heard about you, and we love you guys. So, uh, but uh, yeah, it's good to see all all these friendly faces here today, and all these new people today. And uh, of course, Liz's family as well. Good, glad to have you guys in all the way from sunny Florida, uh, where you probably thought you would cool off up here, and then that did not happen. So sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, good to have you guys. Um, so today, we usually what we've been doing, we've been going through the book of Galatians. Uh, we're kind of taking a break from that just today. Uh, because I want to talk about something that I really feel like the Lord has just kind of burdened my heart for here lately. Uh, and as you guys probably know, just from that video, um, it's about prayer. Uh, prayer for specifically our city. All right. That's what I would like to do as a church. I just feel like that uh, we need to uh, pray more. I don't, I've never met anyone that is like, you know, I pray too much. I feel like I'm killing the praying thing and I've just been praying too much. I really need to back off from praying, right? Uh, I'm sure if I asked everyone here, uh, how do you feel about your prayer life? We would all feel like I could do a little bit better uh, in my prayer life. Um, me, certainly. Certainly I could. And so specifically, one thing I've been burdened for and convicted about is just intentionally praying for New York City. Uh, I, some of you guys know, uh, you know, how we ended up here. Um, but, but basically for those of you that don't know in 2013, we took a trip with some students and, um, it was some seniors in high school. We brought them, uh, to New York city. It was the first time I had ever been to New York city. And so here we are, you know, on this vacation, we're going to be doing all these cool things, uh, that, you know, we think that we're going to be doing all these cool things. And so, uh, we sign up for everything. Like whenever you come to New York city, it's like, all right, what all can we shove into like five days? Because there's so much stuff to do here. And so we did everything. We went to the top of the rock. We went to the today show. We saw Jack Black and he handed us tickets to the premiere of Kung Fu Panda 2. And so then we went to the red carpet premiere of Kung Fu Panda 2. That wasn't in the schedule. And so, uh, you know, we do all these things. We go see a Yankees baseball game. You know, we, we go, we try to fit everything into it. And, uh, but here's the thing. We're supposed to be on this vacation. We're supposed to be hanging out, uh, you know, and having a good time and all of this stuff. And uh, I just couldn't help but just look at the people around me and be incredibly burdened by the sadness that I saw, by the loneliness that I saw, and by the false sense of hope that they were putting their whole entire lives into. So one day I was sitting in a Starbucks. I got up, uh, you know, before everybody got up and uh, I went to a Starbucks and I just sat at the window. That was when you could have Starbucks inside. All the days. 
uh, and I was sitting in there and I was sitting looking out the window and it was about rush hour, you know, in the morning and I was in Manhattan and I just saw everybody, you know, like heads down, like eyes on the prize, like we need to get to work. So we're heading there. No one really, you know, saying anything to anyone else. It was just kind of this, I got to get there. And, you know, that type of attitude. And, uh, and then what I noticed is in the evening times, the same thing. It was just, I got to get home, except for, you know, it was a little bit later because everybody's trying to get ahead. So everybody's putting in more and then they end up, you know, getting home late. People here, I didn't realize this. Uh, whenever we first moved here, we were having dinner at like 630. That's not normal here. Uh, now we're having dinner like at 9.30, right? Because that's just what happens at in New York. And, and then what happens is people, they try, to get, they try to get to work. They try to get back home. They try to get a little bit of rest and they try to eat and they try to end up, you know, I know some of you guys are like, we're in bed by 8.30. I don't know what you guys are thinking here. Uh, yeah, but they, you know, people get home and, and then they're tired and they just want to get to bed. But then all of a sudden they just have to wake up and they have to do it all over again. And they're chasing after something that they have put a whole lot of hope and a whole lot of efforts and a whole lot of resources into achieving. But here's something that I noticed. I saw them all that morning walking to work and they're thinking, we're going to make it. We're going to do it. It's going to be awesome. But here's what I knew. I knew their future. I knew that if they didn't get it, they were going to be depressed. I also knew if they did get it, they would be happy for a little bit, but then they would find the same emptiness that they've always felt. The same emptiness. And I just walked, watched these people and I almost wanted to go out there and stop them and just say, hey, please, just whatever you're chasing right now, can I go ahead and tell you, you will never find fulfillment in your life with what it is that you're chasing after. It won't ever fully fulfill you. It's always going to be something that you're always going to lay your head down at night and you're always going to wonder, is there more? Like I've achieved this wonderful thing that I've tried to achieve, but there's got to be more. If there's that joy that I thought it would bring, that happiness that I thought it would bring, it didn't bring it. Because guys, God created us to have complete enjoyment and fulfillment in him. And it's never been about the other things. Those other things, yeah, they're blessings. And if you end up going after that job and you end up getting it, great. But the reason you aren't fulfilled in that is because Christ is supposed to be your fulfillment. God is supposed to be your fulfillment in those things. And so you're always going to feel like, what's the purpose of this? What am I really doing on this earth? What am I really contributing to anything? What kind of legacy am I really even leaving behind? Because this world was never about achieving those things. It's always been about a relationship with Christ. It's always been about fulfillment that comes through the gospel, always. And the thing that I saw whenever I looked around all the time, if, if I could define it by a word, stop it. If I could define it by a word, it would be lost. That's what I saw whenever I see people walking around. I just saw a bunch of lost people. The definition of lost, unable to find one's way, not knowing one's whereabouts. It's at any given moment where you're walking to work or you're walking somewhere and you know where you are like geographically, but you don't understand where you are in life. You're lost. You're thinking, what is the purpose of this? I cannot find my way. Everything that I've tried has failed to complete me. 
Everything that I shoot for has only let me down. Everything that I've hoped in has only left me hopeless. And everyone at some point in their life, they just feel lost without any hope. And when I chose the name of our church, I had no idea how God was going to use it. No idea how God was going to use it. I was just sitting one day, again in Starbucks. I went to Starbucks a lot, but this was back in Louisiana. And, uh, and I was just sitting there praying through things. And I remembered the trip that I had taken in 2013. I remembered the trip whenever I came back in 2017. I remember the trip whenever we came like on a vision trip to say, okay, we're going to plant a church here. I remembered all of those trips and I, I envisioned every person that I saw everywhere that I went. And I just was praying through things and I was like, God, you know, I was just thinking, God, what do they need? What do they need? What do these people need? And the word that kept coming into my mind is a hope that doesn't fade, a hope that never lets them down, a hope that will never fail. And I just thought, what else? Because then again, because everyone wakes up so early and they head into work, because everyone's heading home so late, and because everyone's putting in extra hours on the weekend, you know what I also found out? That in the most populated city in the United States, it's also the loneliest city in the United States. That while we've got people upon people upon people literally stacked on top of each other, We've got all that going on here. If you walk around and you have meaningful conversations with people and you get to the depth and you get to the root of everything and you could say, what do you desire more than anything? They would say, I desire community. I desire friendships that are real. I desire friendships that are, that are beyond just the, hey, how are you? type of thing. I, I desire someone that I can talk to, someone that knows my life, someone that knows my struggles, someone that knows when I'm excited that they can get excited with me, somebody that knows that whenever I'm extremely sad, I can go to them and they will just be an ear that I can listen to. And so as I was praying through that, I just thought what, what I feel like, God, what I feel like we, that I would like to bring to whatever section of New York City that you plant us in, I want to bring hope and I want to bring community to wherever that is. And I had no idea, guys, that it was going to play how it is because if you thought this city needed hope and community before, what we're just coming out of right now is leaving people absolutely wrecked. This whole pandemic where people then all of a sudden had to come and just stay in their homes and have no communication, hardly with any person face to face. And the communication that you did have was a elbow bump real quick, just so you didn't catch the Rona. You know what I'm talking about? That's what it felt like. That's what it was. And, and it just left people so incredibly lonely. And if we thought people needed hope and we thought they needed community before, it's now more than ever that people need hope and they need community. And I see this everywhere I go. I see this in all kinds of conversations that I have, all kinds. And so what, what I know from experience is that true and lasting hope only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It only comes through that. And I know that the best community I've ever experienced in my whole entire life is a community at the church where we can gather together around things that we have like minds.
Look, I know some people, whenever I say the word church, they've got a bad taste in their mouth because they've experienced something at church that was either a bunch of drama, there was some church hurt there, uh, you know, some things that were going on, and people sometimes just walk away from church and say, if that's church, then that's not what I want. That's not where I want to be. Can I just say that's not what the church is supposed to be? But Hope Community, look at my face real quick. That's what we need to be. We need to be the church that doesn't leave people with church, church hurt. We need to be the people that are truly, truly about community and about having one another's back, about having a place where somebody can say, hey, you know what? Today, I'm just really kind of feeling down. Can I come over for dinner? I know some people are like, oh, I can't invite myself. Can I just tell you right now? Look at me. If you ever want to invite yourself over for dinner, you're there. All right. You're there. Like you will be there. Okay. We will make whatever it is that we have. I will run to the store, whatever we got to do. You are welcome at our house. And I know that's true for a lot of people in this room, that if you just ask, they will have you there, but also don't be afraid to invite someone over for dinner because there are times, there are times that some people won't do that. Guys, this is what we're to do for one another. We are supposed to be a community that gives hope. I'm going to call my kids out right now. Excuse me, sir. Where are you going? I'm just kidding. I just did. <laughs> All right. See ya. So the opposite of the opposite of lost is what? Found. found, right? The opposite of lost is found. The opposite, the opposite of hopeless is hopeful, right? And can I just say that while we see a bunch of people walking around who are lost and they are hopeless, there's a possibility for them to walk around what did I say? There's a possibility for them to walk around found and hopeful. And I can tell you guys that there was a time in my life whenever I walked around lost and hopeless. And I'm telling you right now, I walk around found and hopeful. And it's never changed since the day that I gave my life to Christ. It has never, ever changed. And so what I want to do is I'm personally going to enter into a more of an intentional season of prayer for the people in our city. I'm going to enter into that and I'm going to invite you guys to come along with me to pray for our city. And I mean to pray for our city. And I'll explain to you guys more about what that's going to look like here in a little bit. As I, you know, as God has kind of burdened my heart for this and I was searching the scriptures and everything, I kind of came across um, this scripture in first Timothy chapter two. And uh, let me give you just a little bit of context for this scripture. Paul is the author of this scripture, the apostle Paul, and he's writing to Timothy, who is a person that he led to Christ, who he discipled, and who he now says is his son in the faith. He's like, you are my son in the faith. What happened is Paul was sharing the gospel in some areas. He was going on a, like a, you know, a trip, a mission trip, sharing the gospel with people. He got arrested for doing it. He was thrown into jail for a really long time just for going and sharing the hope of Jesus with other people, all right? And, uh, and so he was arrested, he was thrown into jail, but then he was let out for a little bit of time. Now, what he did is he went over to Ephesus, okay, and where he knew there were some believers and he knew there was kind of an issue going on in the church. So he went over there to kind of give them some instruction. He couldn't stay the whole time. So what he did is he left 
Timothy there. And he said, I want you to pastor this church. I want you to lead this church. And there are some things that I want you to do specifically. I don't have time to tell you right now. I'm going to write you a letter about it. Paul ended up going on his way. And then now we have in the scriptures, the book of first Timothy. So we get to see Paul's writing, his firsthand writing to these people in Ephesus, but specifically this is written to Timothy. And he says, Timothy, this is what I want you to do in the church. This is how I want you to lead the church. So Timothy, eating this up because this is his mentor. This is his teacher, right? So he's eating this up. So that's what's going on in this scripture right now. So if you'll go to first Timothy chapter two, I'm going to read verses one through eight, and then we're going to break this down. And this is going to lead us in how we are going to pray for our city. All right. So here's what it says. First Timothy chapter two, verses one through eight. He says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, we're going to come back and talk about those words, be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people, everybody say all people, all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And then in verse 80 says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling all right so we're going to talk about this just for a second if you'll notice there in the scripture he says in verse one first of all then i urge first of all so this is huge because it just doesn't mean like all right i'm going to give you a list of things but first since there has to be a first this is the first all right that's not what he's saying he's saying first of all in other words this is of primary importance like this is what i want you to hinge everything on before you do anything else in the church yeah i know there's problems going on in the church i understand that people are fighting there's some things going on there are false teachers that are trying to come in and teach a false gospel i understand that all these things are going on. But the first thing I want you to do, the, to do, the primary thing that I want you to do, first of all, is pray. That's the thing he says I want you to do very, very first. And here's what I, here's what I believe. If prayer for the lost is first, then every problem will fix itself. If every if the first thing that we do, if prayer for the lost is the first thing we do, then everything, every problem within the church, and I believe within our lives, will fix itself. If that's the first thing that we do. Think about the Ten Commandments, right? You got all these Ten Commandments, and then you had some people come and challenge Jesus. And they said, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, well, actually, all the commandments can be summed up in this. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. He says, in that, all of the commandments, you're going to end up following all the commandments. In other words, if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, you love other people as yourself, he says, then you don't need to worry about the other commandments. 
because you're, art- you're automatically going to fulfill them. You're automatically going to follow them. And that's what I'm saying. If we, as a church, if we as individuals in the church, if we will put prayer for the people who are hopeless, if we will put prayer for the people who are lost and who are seeking, if we will put that first, that means that if we wake up in the morning, the first thing out of our mouths is prayer for people to find Jesus, prayer for people to find hope. If you begin your day that way, then every other problem will take care of itself because what will happen is that your heart and your mind will automatically be aligned with God. And when your heart and your mind is aligned with the will of God, then everything else falls into place prospectively. Everything falls into place. All of a sudden, things that seem to be so trivial, so trial, I mean, they they aren't so much anymore because there's a greater burden on your heart a greater burden for everyone else. It's a greater burden for the other people. The gospel, the gospel is the purpose of the church. That's why we're here. We are here to do that. So the first thing we need to do, yeah, we absolutely need to be sharing our faith with people. We absolutely need to be going and we need to be sharing. But before we do that, we need to be in our knees in prayer for those people. And here's the thing, the gospel, like I said, that is the purpose of the church. And what's the church? I'm not talking about this building right here. I'm not talking about whenever we just get together. I'm talking about you individually. You are the church. And so whenever you go anywhere, the primary purpose of the church is the gospel. All right. It's not fellowship. Although we love fellowship, we love hanging out. We love going and we love, you know, uh, being together. Um, You know, the other week that we had the cookout, it was so awesome, you know, hanging out together. Whenever we have all of these things that we do, it's so great whenever we get together and we do these things. But those are not our primary focus. The reason that we have fellowship, the reason that we do all of these things is for the furtherance of the gospel. That's why we even do these things. We are not, we are not, yes, I love coming to church and I love like hearing from the word of God. I love worshiping together. But guys, we are not called just to be in a holy huddle. All right. We're not called to do that. We're not just to call. You are not called to live your life day to day, never speaking the name of Jesus and then coming to church. Let me tell you this. If the only thing you do is just come to church and learn, you're doing it wrong. Because the only reason that you are here right now, yes, you are going to be furthered in your walk with Christ. You're going to, you're going to grow in intimacy with Jesus and you are going to grow in that relationship with him. And you're going to fall more in love with your father and in a deeper love with your father. But the greatest thing and the reason that we have all of those things happen in our lives is so that we will go out and we will share with other people. We've talked about it before, but we talked about what spiritual obesity is, right? What's obesity in general? It's where you just eat, 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 and you never expend. You never exercise, right? And sometimes we can do that in church. All we do is we come and we feed on the word. We feed, 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 and then we never go out and exercise anything that we've learned. Sometimes we do that. And that's never been what we're called to do. We exist for the sake of the gospel. And God has bestowed, and listen to this, God has bestowed that blessing on us. He's given us the blessing of sharing the gospel. Sometimes people see it as a burden. Oh yeah, that's that thing I got to do, you know, to be a good Christian. I've got to go and I've got to share. Guys, God never meant sharing, never meant for sharing the gospel to be a burden to anyone. It's the greatest news that's ever happened in mankind. And he's actually said in all his infinite knowledge, and I've said this before, in all his infinite knowledge and all of his infinite love for us, God said, what's the greatest way that I can bless my people? You know what? I'm going to let them take the good news to everyone. That's how I'm going to bless everyone. 
That's going to be the way that I do it. And so if you're not sharing Christ with people, if you're not praying for people to come to know Christ, you're missing out on a very, very tremendous blessing. Because again, I've never met anyone that walked away from a gospel conversation and went, I wish I wouldn't have done that. The only time I've ever seen regret in anyone is whenever they say, I felt like I needed to share and I didn't. That's the only time we ever feel that. So don't be afraid of doing that because it is an incredible blessing, right? We exist for the sake of the gospel. Um, I was listening to a, uh, this, this, I don't know if he was a pastor or what he was exactly, but he used to be a church planter in Denver, Colorado. And, uh, and he's no longer a church planter anymore. But he said that he got to a part, right? We're pretty young uh, as a church, right? This is only our second year, uh, but COVID happened. So we're going to erase that. This is really our first year um, as a church. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, they said that, you know, at the beginning, he was, he, was, he was like speaking my language. He was like, yeah, we would go out and we would like do these block parties and we would have these things and we would invite people and, you know, people would come and everything. And, and uh, we'd be out there and we'd be sharing our faith and we'd be doing all these things. And he was like, but then there was a point that we came to where I looked up and we were a large church all of a sudden and we weren't no longer were we doing any barbecues. No longer were we out there in the community doing anything. Instead, everything turned inward. And guys, let me just say, if we cease to do those things, we cease to be the church. Yeah, we're a place where everybody can come and we're a place where everybody can hang out, but that's not what the church was meant for. And let me just say, for accountability purposes, if at any point in our church's life, you guys see that we have become more inwardly focused and more of this holy huddle thing. You have all the permission in the world to come to me and call me out on that. All the permission, because we never, I never want to be just about this meeting on Sundays. I want to be about going into the community because that is where we are supposed to be. We come in here, yeah, but our ministry is out there. It's not in here, all right? And so he says, he says, that's the that's the first thing I want you to do. First thing I want you to do is pray. And he actually says, I urge you. I urge you to do this. This is a pleading that he's saying, right? It's more intense like than just a recommendation. I just recommend this if you guys want a better, you know, if you guys would like, right? That's what happens in a restaurant whenever you're like, what kind of pie do you have? What do you recommend? Oh, I like this pie. Try this pie. Try this dessert, right? That's a recommendation. That's not what he's saying here. He's not giving you like a, hey, this is what I just say, if you want. He's saying, I urge you with everything I have. First things first, I want you to place that primary importance on prayer. And what does he say? He says in that scripture, he says, primary importance is prayer for all people. And he goes on to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's the thing that he says that I want you to pray for. First thing all the time. I want you to pray for all people, all right? We're going to get to that in a second. All people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. All right. So he uses four specific words here uh, for how to pray. All right. And this isn't a magical potion, right? This isn't like a position like 
Leonard Ravenhill said on the video here, uh, it's a disposition of our heart, okay? So it's not, it's not a magical potion. This isn't like, oh, okay, so these four things equals God does this, which by the way, a lot of people think God works that way. Oh, I want a blessing in my life, so if I do A plus B, then that equals a blessing in my life. A lot of people did that with the Lord's Prayer, right? God says, if you want, a, a, if you want kind of an example of how to pray, here is an example. You know what he says right before that? He says, all of these people, they keep using all of these repetitive words in their prayers. He's like, I don't want you to keep using repetitive words in your prayers. Instead, pray something like this. And he says, our father who art in heaven, how would be thy name? And he goes and he prays this whole entire, he says, pray something like this. And you know what we did? We took it and we made it a magical potion. And we said, oh, we're going to pray that all the time now. And he just, and I just like, if, if Jesus could see us now, he would be like, no, 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 no. Like I said that because everyone was repeating the same thing over and over again. So I gave you that. And now you've taken that and you're just repeating it over and over again. You've kind of missed the whole point. So whenever we go through these four things that he says right here, this isn't like, if you want to pray through these, great, but it's not a magical potion or anything that's going to happen. All right. Um, so what he says, the four words are supplication, prayer, intercession, thanksgiving for all people. These are the four things that he says. And now they all kind of mean the same thing because they all revolve around prayer, but they're very distinctly different words. All right. So let's talk about them for just a second, because as we pray for New York City together, all right, as we pray for New York City together, I want you to have these kinds of things in mind right here. All right. So he says, first of all, supplication be made for all people. All right. There's that. That's a fancy Greek word uh, that we don't. I don't even really know how to say it out loud um, that he says there. But basically what that specific word in the original language that this text was written in, what that specific word means is asking for a need. All right. So someone is lacking something. You are lacking something. Right. Uh, your neighbor uh, or if you lack sugar. You're going to go over to your neighbor, knock on the door and say, hello, I'm supplicating for sugar. You probably won't say that, but you would say, hi, I'm in need of some sugar, right? I didn't realize it. And I was making this thing and it's the only thing I need. Can I borrow some sugar? So you are supplicating, you're, you are, you are using supplications for that, right? That's what that is. The homeless, they, they supplicate for money. Every time that you walk past someone on the street and they're asking you for money, that is what that word supplication means. All right. All of the Omars on the train. If you guys see the Omars on the train, they are supplicating supplicating for money. That is what they are doing, right? And so that's what that word means. He's saying supplication be made for all people. Now, here's the thing. We can make supplications for all people. In other words, if I see that you have a need in your life, I can pray for that and I should pray for that. If I see something that you are in need of, I want to lift you up in that. But that's not in context to what he's talking about here. It's not a random supplication. It's not a random a need that, that you are praying for. He's specifically talking about Jesus. He's specifically talking about the need that people have for Jesus. All right? Where else is this word used in scripture? This one may uh, be familiar to you guys. Philippians chapter four, verse six. Uh, I think I have it up here. Yes, I do. Awesome. It says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he's saying, if there is anything that is inside of you that is making you anxious, and we can all be that way sometimes, right? If there's anything inside of you, that means that there is a need that you feel like you have deep in your core 
that I need this and I have anxiety in my life because I'm afraid of what's going to happen with this need or this outcome that's going to happen. God, I need this to happen. He's saying, look, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, just let your request be made known to God. He's saying, let me know your need. He already knows your need, but he's such an awesome God that he's saying, no, go ahead and voice that to me. If you have a need, I want you to go ahead and voice that to me. That's what that word supplication is about, right? And Elizabeth and Zechariah in Luke chapter 113, Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't have a child. And they were so distraught. And they were getting along in years is what the Bible says. It's nice for saying old. Getting along in years. Somebody said that about me the other day. No, no, I'm only 40. All right. But, uh, but they were getting along in years. They, they couldn't have a child and they were crying out to God, please. Because back then, if you couldn't have a child, you were looked down upon. Yes, as probably you had some kind of sin in your life or you were, you were seen as less than because you couldn't have a child. That's how they viewed you. And so if you could imagine the, 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 the desire to have a child in the first place, and then all of a sudden have the pressure of other people saying that you're a nobody and that you're worthless from that, this is the situation that they were in. And it says that they came to the Lord in supplication for a kid. And wouldn't you know that the Lord provided for them a child in his time. And I've sat with people who have prayed that couldn't have children. I've sat with people who prayed and prayed and tears down their eyes because they couldn't have children. And I prayed with them in a prayer of supplication. God, please just provide for them this need that they have. We can pray those things. I've sat with people who have prayed and prayed for a sick child. The most devastating situations that you could ever think of. And I've sat with them and they were just praying and they were begging God for this need that they had for their kid to be okay. Just praying these things. And I've also sat and prayed. I used to do, uh, back at our back at the church we were at before this, I was in um, uh, like a... It's singles ministry is what we called it. We always wanted a better name than that because it was always like reminding them, you're single. (laughs) But we wanted a better name for that, right? Uh, but, But I remember sitting with those people and I remember some days just them, like I'm talking like people in our ministry that were in their 30s, right? They were in, and they've been a part of every wedding, right? They've been in all the weddings. They've been, they've seen all of their friends married and now their friends start having kids and they just look at themselves and they just say, I want this so bad. I want this so bad. And they make this prayer of supplication to God, please. And I've prayed with them through that. And if you can imagine the desperation that are coming from the mouths of these people for those specific things, that is the heart behind how Paul is saying we need to pray for the lost. We need to have that sort of desperation in our prayers whenever we consider those that are hopeless, whenever we consider those that are lost. And we see them and we go to, we go to God in supplication for them. And again, it says for all people. And guys, that is completely convicting to me because I can pray all of my personal supplications but they all pale in comparison to the need for others to be saved. That's the greatest need that anyone has. And so I can wake up in the morning and it's happened often and I can be down about things 
And I notice that if I will wake up in the morning and I will, instead of, you know, concentrating on those things that I'm lacking in my life, but I will concentrate on the one thing that is the most important that other people are lacking in their life, it will put everything in perspective for me. Everything will be put in perspective for me. And so that's what he says. And we're not supposed to just pray for our friends and family, by the way. We're supposed to pray for everyone, even those who persecute you, even those that are hard to love. Uh, and then he says this, pray, he says, you know, supplications for all people. He says, prayers be made for all people as well. Uh, and now you're like, well, what is this word going to have to do with, right? Because it's pretty straightforward. It's prayer. And this word right here, specifically, if, if it was all written out, if like we knew Greek and we were reading this scripture right here, here's how we would understand that. It's not what you are addressing, but it's who you are addressing, in this scripture. So prayer doesn't mean what you are praying for. It means who you are praying to. So he's saying, yes, bring those supplications. But here's the thing. You can give your neighbor sugar, right? You can give that to your neighbor. You can give the homeless man money. You can give these things to people, but the only thing that, that the only person, the only one that can give eternal life is God. He's the only one. And so whenever he's saying right here, whenever you're, whenever you're making supplications for these people and their need for Jesus, make sure that you understand who you're praying to because he's the only one that can give it. Because as we've been saying over and over again through our study in Galatians, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot do enough good things. We cannot do, uh, we cannot follow the Ten Commandments close enough. We cannot help enough old people across the street to get ourselves into heaven. We cannot do that. I cannot run up to you and I cannot say, please save me because I want to have a relationship with Jesus. The only person that can do that is Jesus. And he says, please, he says, make sure that you know who you are praying to. And then he says, intercessions be made for all people. I love this word. I love studying this whole thing because it's going to take my prayer life into a much deeper level of praying. So he says, intercessions be made for all people. So here's the thing. You don't have the power or ability or knowledge. So someone has to do it for you or on your behalf. That's what, that's what intercession is. It's you don't have that power. You don't have that knowledge. You do not have that ability. So someone has to do it for you again on your behalf. Uh, have you guys ever struggled? Have you guys ever been in such a, a place in your life where you are in such a, a moment of desperation that you literally have no idea what to even pray? Like, I have no idea what words that even need to come out of my mouth right now because I am in such disarray in my life. I have no idea what I'm supposed to say. I love this scripture, Romans 8, 26 through 27, because here's intercessions on our behalf. Here's what it says. Likewise, there it is on the screen. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Do you know what? I love that scripture. Because when I don't have the words to pray, do you know who prays on my behalf? 
Do you know who is interceding for me? It's God himself. It's the Holy Spirit. And when I have no idea the words to say, it's like the Holy Spirit says, hey, it's okay. I, I, I got you. And I know the Father better than you do. And he knows me better than you do. So let me go to him on your behalf. Let me pray for you. And that's what the Spirit does for us. That's what that word intercession means at its core. There is compassion and there is empathy in this word as well. When we're supposed to intercede for other people, there's supposed to be compassion and empathy in that intercession. All right. You can have a court, a court appointed lawyer who doesn't care, right? This is someone who is an advocate for you, someone who is supposed to intercede because you didn't go to law school. All of a sudden you find yourself in a little bit of trouble and you're in need of some advocacy. You're in need of someone to intercede on your behalf and you can't afford an attorney. So one will be appointed for you, right? Watch a lot of cop shows, <laughs> right? And so you, and so you, so that's what it is. Yeah. Well, when they show up, you know what they're interested in? Not you. They don't have empathy for you. They don't care about you. You know what they want? They want a paycheck. That's what they're in it for. That's not the type of inter intercession that we're talking about here, where you just go and you say, yeah, I'm supposed to pray for people and for them to be saved. So here's a prayer for the people. Greg said, we're going to pray for the people. So we're going to pray for the people now. And now we're going to do it, right? That's, 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 that's that lawyer right there. All right. That's not what intercession is. But there was a girl that was in our church um, way back in the day. And what she was is it was a beautiful thing. She was called a child advocate. Have you guys ever heard of that before? A child advocate, it's specific, it's an intercessor for foster kids, right? And so basically what this person does is a child has no idea what they need, right? They don't even know what to ask for, but they find themselves in a situation where they've been thrown into foster care and now they find themselves in court. They can't say anything for themselves, but what a child advocate does is they come into that courtroom with them and they say, I will be the intercessor for this child. I know what this child needs. And so I, and, and it's more than just, I'm just going to show up on a court date. You get to know this child. You become intertwined with this child and you are now their advocate. You are now their intercessor. And here's the thing, child advocates, they're not paid. It's completely volunteer. So you know why they do that? It's because they have compassion and they have empathy for someone. And so they volunteer because they know there's a need. And so they step up in that need. And so what we are to do as believers is we know that there is a need for people to have Christ. We know that that's the thing that they need. And so we are supposed to go to God, who's the only one that can provide that. And we are supposed to intercede on behalf of other people who have no idea what they're supposed to be praying for. They're those people that are just walking down the street, hoping in whatever it is that they're hoping for. And we are sitting here on this side going, I know what you're experiencing because I've been there and I know that it's gonna lead to emptiness. I know that it's not gonna lead anywhere good. It's not gonna lead to fulfillment. And so that's the moment that we are broken for someone else. And that's the moment that we have empathy and we have compassion. And that's whenever we're led to intercede on their behalf. We pray for them with empathy. We pray for them with compassion. Whenever Jesus was on the cross, all of these people were standing around and they were yelling at him and they were mocking him and they were saying all of these kinds of hateful things to him. And Jesus looked upon these people. You know what he didn't see? He didn't see all the evil. 
He didn't see all the hatred. The thing that Jesus saw was sheep without a shepherd. That's what he saw. And it caused him to just be so broken for these people, not angry with these people. He understands that hurting people hurt people. He understands that. So he sees these people and all he sees are hurting people. So you know what? You know how Jesus intercedes on their behalf in this moment? The prayer that he prays for them? He doesn't pray, get them, God. Get them. He says, Father, please forgive them because they have no idea what they're doing. They don't understand. They don't get it. So God, please forgive them because they're not going to ask for forgiveness. They think that they're doing the right thing and they're not. That's how we are supposed to intercede for other people because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're chasing after. They don't know where they're going. So we intercede on their behalf. And then this type of praying, he says, thanksgiving for all people. That's what this is going to produce in us is thanksgivings for all people. Because here's the thing. How can you supplicate for the salvation of others without being thankful for your own? How can you how can you, how can we pray to God without being grateful for his magnitude and ability to save? How can we intercede on someone's behalf without being grateful for those that did the same for us? Because guys, here's something that's a really cool thought. And I haven't really ever thought about this until I was making this right here. Someone prayed for me to be saved. Someone prayed for me. That's a weird thought because I go, I'm trying to go back in my life and to consider who could that have been? Who could that have been that was praying for me? Who is, who is that that was making supplications for me to God and interceding on my behalf so that I would come to know Christ? Because it happened. Somebody was praying for me. So if, if you're in this room, you belong to Jesus. Someone was praying for that to happen. If you don't, someone is praying for that to happen. And so we get the privilege of interceding on other people's behalf. And it brings that thanksgiving to us knowing that, hey, we've been saved. We've received this as well. So here's the thing. God has called us to love him and love and pray for all people. All right. Easy people to pray for, easy people to love. And you all know those people, but also the very hard people to pray for and love as well. The proof is pretty much in the next verse right here. He says, for, all, for kings and all who are in high positions. So he's saying pray for all people. And then he actually says for kings and, and, and all these people in high positions. You know why he says that? Because do you know who's the emperor at this time? Nero. You want to talk about evil? You want to talk about someone who was an enemy of Christians? Nero was an enemy of Christians. He did things that I can't even talk about right now to them. And Paul says, he just throws that in there. He's like, yeah, you're supposed to pray for the salvation of all people. And then he says, including the kings and the people who are high up in authority. So he's saying for even the people that wrong you, even the people that do harsh things to you, even the people, in fact, here's what I would say. Right now, who's the person you want to pray for the least? That's who you need to be praying for the most. 
That person is, the, is who you need to be praying for the most. All right? So, at the very end, and this is where we're going to end this. At the very end, this is, he, said, he tells us how to pray. All right? He tells us how to pray. So we pray because people have needs, because God deserves the glory, because deep in our hearts we feel the anxiety for a lost soul, and we thank God for his mighty power to save. But this is how we are to pray. It says, with holy hands, without anger or quarreling. It says in that scripture, I desire then that we pray with lifting holy hands with anger, without anger or quarreling. What does that mean? Again, it's not a posture of hands. It doesn't mean that whenever you pray that you have to lift your hands. The emphasis is on the word holy. It's not on the word lifting. The emphasis is on the word holy. All right. So it's not a posture of your hands. It's a position of your heart. In James chapter five, verse 16, it says the heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Then in Psalm 66, 18, it says, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So when we come to God on behalf of the lost, make sure you come to him with holy hands. That doesn't mean perfect. That doesn't mean you're sinless. That doesn't mean everything's going perfect in your life. That's not, that's not how he's saying come. He's saying, do not come to God with cherished or unrepentant sin in your life. If there is, if you are walking around basically is what he's saying, and there is any kind of cherished sin, that's a, a sin that you love, that you're like, God, I'm not giving this up. I love this. And it's not something I'm going to give up. Then guys, here's something. People think that God hears every prayer. He doesn't. Because he does not hear the prayer of people who have unrepentant or uncherished sin in their hearts. We just read it in Psalm 66, 18. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. He would not even have listened. So if you're coming to God and you're making supplications and you're praying for these things and there is cherished or unrepentant sin in your heart, then that's just, God's not going to listen to that. So he said, because that's the heart behind how we need to approach the Lord with these things. And he also says, no anger or division in your hearts toward anyone. In Matthew chapter 5, 23 to 24, it says this. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice. He's like, I don't even want your sacrifice. He says, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. He's saying, you're coming to me with a sacrifice. Don't even come to me with, with the sacrifice. Go and fix whatever's going on between people. Then come to me. So what he says there in that scripture is he says, with holy hands, without anger, and without quarreling. So, so today, basically what we've seen is we've seen who we are to pray for, and that is who? All people, right? The lost, all people. We're to pray for everyone. There's not just specifics. What we need to pray for, the salvation of them. How we need to pray with pure hearts. So here's the thing. Everywhere you turn, everywhere you turn, you see people who need hope. They need Jesus. And the first thing Paul tells Timothy to do is pray. It's of utmost importance. All right, so here's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm going to propose this. Because like I said, the only reason that this message even exists right now is because God has just really burdened my heart to pray more for the loss of the city. All right? I don't know what you're going to say, but we just read all people. Yes, okay, pray for all people, but we're specifically like going to zero in here on New York City because that's where we are. That's where the Lord has planted us, and that's where we have influence right now, okay? So we're going to pray for all the people of this city, and here's what I'm proposing, all right? And it's less daunting than what it sounds like, okay? It's only going to take a little bit of time. 
You know what, though, really, honestly, if anybody in here is going, just make it quick. <laughs> like, maybe you shouldn't pray, all right? <laughs> I was going to say that. So what I'm proposing, all right, is a five-month process of, of just praying for the lost. So each week, Monday through Friday, we're going to be praying specifically for one thing. Just one thing, all right? I've already got it up on the website the first week, okay? So starting tomorrow, starting tomorrow, we have the first thing. And all you have to do is go to hopecommunitynyc.com slash prayer, all right? And that's where you will see the first week. So whenever you get home tonight, you can check that out. Uh, whenever you leave today, you can check that out. But go to that website tomorrow, and it will say day one, Monday, and it will say this is what we are going to pray for together today. I'm going to be doing that tomorrow. You do not have to do that tomorrow. I'm just inviting you to do that tomorrow and to begin this whole thing with us. Because I believe, I believe that prayer aligns our heart with God. And if we're going to see God do something amazing in this world, it's got to, it's got to happen in us first. It's got to happen in us first. So we're going to be praying. God's going to be aligning our heart to his, and we're going to be praying for the lost. We're going to be supplicating. We are going to be going to God, the only one that can give that salvation. And we are going to be specifically interceding on behalf of the people who can't intercede for themselves and who won't intercede for themselves, aren't, aren't praying for themselves, all right? So the first week starting tomorrow, Monday, we're going to pray for the good of the city because there's some good in this city, guys. We don't want to focus on just that this place is terrible. Sinners everywhere. We need to give them Jesus, right? No, there's some good things in this world. There's some good things in this city. We're going to pray over the good of this city. Tuesday, we're going to pray for the gospel in this city. Wednesday, we're going to pray for the bad of this city. Thursday, we're going to pray for the ugly of this city. Friday, we're going to pray for hope in this city. So that's going to be what this week is, all right? And then we're going to continue, continue on the next five weeks, praying for justice in the city. We're going to pray for the churches in the city. We're going to pray for the witness in the city. These are the kinds of things that we're going to be praying for in the city. And I'm asking you to join me in that. All right. So I believe, I believe that God is going to do some great things in this city. All right. I believe he's going to do some great things in this city because there is a need for great things in this city. I can't remember where I heard this, and maybe some of you heard this too the other day, but there was this guy who had, you know, he heard of this third world country that didn't have any shoes, no shoes. And he's like, oh my goodness, I got to get them some shoes. So he contacts them and he says, hey, I've got all these shoes. I want to ship them to you. And this person contacts them back and says, no one here wears shoes. Keep your shoes. And then he was like, oh, okay. But then he was like, no, I feel like I'm supposed to send them shoes. Like they need shoes. So he contacts them again and a different person got back and said, oh my goodness, you need shoes. No one here has shoes. Please send the shoes. So you have the first person who's like, nobody has shoes. We don't need shoes. You have the second person who's like, nobody has shoes. We need the shoes. Here's the thing. In this city right here, are you guys aware that 0.03% claim to be born-again Christians. 0.03 in a city of over 8 million people. They need the shoes. They need them bad. And I believe God's going to give some shoes. I believe that he is going to do a great work. And I believe that it starts with us. All right? I know that we're small. 
I know we're a little church. I know that we've just kind of started in all of these things. But guys, imagine what could happen with just a few people. Imagine what happened with 12, <laughs> right? Imagine what happened with one. <laughs> that was Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.